All right, good morning. I am so glad to see all sorts of folks in here. I get to see um, some guests that uh, I got to invite fresh. Um, that is very exciting for me. I'm glad you guys are here this morning and uh, participating with us today. If this is your first time again, I'd like to remind you, um, we'd love to hear back from you. Um, and so uh, please just let us know that you were here on that little card in front of you. Um, if you'd like to get a few steps ahead of me this morning, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 1. It's John chapter 1, and we're going to tackle verse 14. It's going to be really familiar for you um, here in just a moment. But uh, I also want to do uh, just a little bit of acknowledgement um, this morning. It is absolutely an honor to have an opportunity to lead up here. This is um, a, a privilege to be able to uh, be in charge of delivering God's word. And uh, I would encourage you while I'm up here and while we're thinking about it, um, continue to keep Pastor Tim and Cynthia uh, in your prayers as uh, this sabbatical is uh, set aside for them to have some refreshing and renewal. Um, so uh, do not forget them. Um, in fact, uh, I, I was thinking about them especially. Um, my first sermon, actually right here at this podium, uh, was supposed to be my last sermon in this church. Um, so years ago, years ago, my first sermon here was supposed to be my last at this church, um, just just uh, for Lakeview. Uh, I was leading the college group at the time, and life's journey was going to take me up to uh, Northeast Ohio uh, to be a Chick-fil-A manager. How many of you guys remember that one? Yeah, it was, it's, it's been a little while, so I'm, I'm glad y'all are with us this morning. Um, but uh, Pastor Tim got up to introduce me uh, for my so-called farewell sermon to Lakeview. And uh, what he said uh, to me and about me right then and there uh, was one of the biggest honors, biggest compliments I have ever been paid. Um, he said just before uh, I came on stage that morning, most of you know Zach, and you know that he is quite evangelistically gifted. Whether he took you out to breakfast or shared the gospel with you at Walmart, he's always applying those gifts. Now, how many of you uh, just smiled a little bit because that was true of you? Um, this was eight years ago. And so uh, the, the, the Walmart uh, evangelized and those that have had more than, you know, 12 servings of bacon with me, you know, you don't have to raise your hand. But um, so, so in that time, uh, he, was, he was introducing me as this, this individual that had a real passion for evangelism. And I do want to say um, something important. I'm not I'm not sharing this to um, puff myself up, um, but I, I want to let you know that in these these weeks, as the staff takes some leadership over this time, uh, Pastor Tim did not put the B team in. Okay, this this is the A team. This is the A team. Um, I pulled up in a black van with a red streak across the side. The A team. I don't know. Old reference, really old reference. Very sorry there. Um, but there is not a scrub on staff. We are, we are going to, um, definitely tackle, um, these next few weeks with some dignity. And, um, there is not a single person on the staff that is not spirit equipped to, uh, do some incredible things here. Um, I'm just as excited for, uh, Jared to speak next week as I am to share with you today. And I'm pretty pumped today. Um, but back to the quote. Pastor Tim sharing about me, he said, uh, and get this, see if you can picture him. And oh, by the way, here in about a month, <clears throat> Zach will be moving to Northeast Ohio because Chick-fil-A has stolen him away from us. Now, Zach, of course, will find himself attached to a life-giving church in Ohio, but I just hope they know who's going to walk through the door. 
And I hope Pastor Tim and Cynthia will allow me to return that honor by saying, here in about a month or so, your senior pastor, who pours over the word every day to reveal truth to us, is going to walk back through those doors. And I just hope you know who's walking in. So, let's talk about grace today. Um, we're going to look at John, chapter 1. I already had you head in that direction, but I'll give you another second for some catch-up ball. John, chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. And it reads like this. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. My goodness, I want to experience the fullness of God. Does anybody else want a slice of that? I know we're probably recovering from a fantastic meal these last few weeks and, and all of our holiday celebrations, but I, I want a slice of that one. We have heard this idea of grace. So many times we throw this word around um, consistently enough. Um, how many folks in here, actually, when uh, 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 Mark was leading in that song, how many of you guys forgot the words to Amazing Grace? Right? You don't have to put your hand up. It, that's, that's a very tough song to forget. We, we've sung it for years and years in the church. It's become a, a cultural staple for us. I mean, how many of you have met my daughter, Ellie Grace? Ellie or Grace, prettiest little thing, too. I tell you what, she's got me wrapped around her little finger. <laughs> but maybe uh, some of you might look at this idea of grace, and you might try to define it very quickly. Maybe you've had a, a youth group or a Sunday school um, define it for you, um, this, this idea that you are receiving something you didn't earn, Okay. And, and that's usually what I, I heard, and that's usually what was passed around me. Grace is, is you receiving something that you didn't deserve. But I want to explore grace with us uh, all together for just a few minutes today. We're going to look in the Old Testament here in a moment. But I see here that in order to experience the fullness of God, in order to experience God's fullness, we have to have a grasp of grace, the grace upon grace that's been given to us. The New Testament word for grace that we see here is, and everybody, you know, get, get a little bit of spit in your mouth because I'm going to make you repeat after me. All these words are kind of fun to say, right? The word is charis. Charis. It's not really fun to say. Yeah, especially during cold season, you know, you know, be careful. Be super careful about your neighbor in front of you. But the word is charis, okay? And it's defined as graciousness, as gratifying the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. Now, I know that sounds super complicated. In fact, I knew I'd get that look from Kendra right there. Right about then, she always says, all right, break it down like Legos. And I'm like, okay. So in my notes, I jotted down the Legos part, okay? And so this is, this is the broken down version. Uh, what, I, what I read to you previously was graciousness as gratifying the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. Legos terms, it's God being so good to you 
that it reflects in who you are. The other words that help give us that definition in that, uh, that original terminology for charis is acceptable, benefit, favor, gift, joy, liberality, pleasure, and worthy of thanks. These are the things that give us at least a word definition of grace. But I want to give you two Old Testament examples, and I, I use this first one quite a bit. This is a, a sticky one. I can't get it out of my head, and I hope you don't either. Um, out of these uh, two examples of grace, we're going to first begin with our buddy Adam in the Garden of Eden. Okay? Adam in the Garden of Eden. And, and in chapter 2, we see um, there are trees. There are trees that are good. There's a tree that is bad, and the fruit is good. The produce is good. The animals are good. Everything's good. Right? God has created a flawless creation. There's paradise. Right? And so Adam, as he interacts with paradise, does something a little messed up. Now notice I'm picking on Adam. I don't have time to pick on Eve today. Yeah. And all the ladies said amen. Well, easy, easy. I don't have time to pick on Eve today. Because Eve, Eve, I don't know. I think we pick on her a little hard. You know, she's the first one to sin, and she did this and that. She was battling Satan himself when Adam just had to listen to... Anyway, I, I'm, I'm going to skip all that, because I, I just want to get to the grace part, okay? I just want to get to the grace part. And so, in Genesis chapter 3, um, if we could get that up on the board, Genesis chapter 3, verses 11 through 19, it, the story goes like this. God comes in, and he, he sees that Adam and Eve are hiding. They've tried to make for themselves garments out of leaves, debris, trash. And so they are, they are covering up themselves because they are now ashamed. And God comes to them, and he says, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Get this, okay? Very few creatures in the world... In this story, right? Okay? We're, we're not talking like major cities. There's, there's some, some procreation going on. But there are very few characters in this story. And Adam actually blames all of them except himself. Okay? Verse 12. The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree. And I ate. Isn't that disgusting? Then the Lord God said to the woman, What's this you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and of dust you shall eat all of the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. But catch grace with me. 
because we have this story, and I've used this before. I use it in overflow all the time. We have a story where what was the penalty for eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? What was the penalty? Death. What did he do? He made childbirth hard and made a full work day. First off, is that deserved? What was deserved? You said it. Death was deserved. They were given paradise. They were given provision. They had the one and only eternal God in their company. In fact, just before this, we see in the scene that when God sees that something is different, it says he was walking in the cool of the day. Uh, Actually, most translations, if you really break it down, said he was rushing in like the wind. It wasn't just that he was walking around going, well, where's Adam? He, he was going, where are my kids? <laughs> where are my kids? And then to see them covered in garbage, trying to hide from him. The penalty was death. And grace upon grace, there was no death. There we see them getting something they don't deserve. But it was even a thousand times more than that. That isn't where the grace ends. Just like Pastor Tim talked about this last week when he discussed sacrifice, if you guys recall that. Genesis chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Isn't that incredible? When their penalty was death, he responds with a slap on the wrist and then clothes them, wipes the garbage off of them, and clothes them. And what's more, it says he makes them the clothes out of animal skin. God put the blood of an animal on his own hands and he clothed them. He tried to make their lives better. Even though they tried to make their lives better by themselves. And they covered themselves with trash. And they hid from God. Did you hear that? Hid from God. We're going to get to some convicting stuff here. So I want you to be careful with me. Let's pay super close attention. You ready? Hid from God in paradise. They hid in the garden. They were still in paradise. Can you imagine trying to lay low in paradise? Everything you would ever need right there at your fingertips. And you were most concerned with covering up and not being seen. I have no doubt in my mind that this is a picture of many of even you here today. Whether you would say you're a believer or not, here you hide with God's provision right here. You hide in paradise. You sit in a paradise of God's love and you sit in a paradise of people's love for you and you're too busy hiding your secret sin to fully participate in real church. Could you take that in with me? Point number one, 
And this is important to understand about grace. Adam did not deserve the grace he received, and he hadn't done anything good enough to receive it in the first place, nor did he ever earn it later. It wasn't just undeserved in that moment. He never would have earned it. He would have never been enough to cover up himself and his shame. He was not enough. And so I want us to grasp that as we move on. And we're going to talk just about one or two more principles about grace. This is, you guys know me. I try to blaze through it. There's call-ahead seating at Texas Roadhouse. Y'all will make it, okay? But here's, here's something critical. He didn't deserve any of that. Nothing he had ever done deserved it. I want to look at another part. Because here's how we activate. Here's how we reach for grace. Get this. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to walk around and kind of prompt you a little bit. I want to get you time because, you know, we, we don't bring these things into the building just for kicks. You know, like I, a long time ago I had a friend... Um, I won't tell you his name, uh, but he, he was really into Bibles. He wasn't necessarily just into the Bible, though that was true, but he was into Bibles. Like, he would look at your Bible and he'd go, oh, you have the gold leaf embossed. Like, like he, he studied the Bibles and the Bible. It was, it was really oddball. So, like, we don't bring these here for nothing. Yeah, I definitely want you to read along if you can. <clears throat> Excuse me. But uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook. And the voice of him who called in the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Here's something critical for you. When the grace of God is made clear to you, confession becomes more natural. When God's authority is nearby, when a real, tangible God comes in, It makes you a little bit hungrier. It makes you a little bit hungrier for confession. Now, I I have, by the way, too, uh, we've got some newlyweds in here. We've got some, uh, we've got engaged folks. Where's, where's Jared? And I know Kayla's out, but I want to pick on Jared. Like, we've got, we've got so many, like, up and coming marriages and all sorts of things and they're all ministry couples and here's the deal the best advice i can give you is have a kid because it will solve all of your illustration problems forever 
like, Cody, if you are running out of material to, like, put down, just go, you know what, Mariah, I think it's time, you know. (laughs) So you guys have probably met my son Ezekiel, right? And my son Ezekiel, he is absolutely the best. I love Ezekiel. He is the coolest kid. I don't know why. He looks exactly like me when I was his age, but he's like 6,000 times cooler. Like, I am not even close to as cool as he is. Like, I was even watching my home movies again the other day to affirm that I am not as cool as my son. He's just cool. And so... So yeah, amen, right? And so my really super cool son, he does this cool thing though, and when I say cool, I mean it is the worst thing ever and he has obeyed the lies of Satan when he does it. Um, when, when I make dinner, or when my wife makes dinner, and, and there's this, this uh, you don't have to scrunch your face. When I make dinner, um, there's this thing where I look down the hall and I gather everybody to the table and I'll go, hey Zeke, it's time for dinner crickets. Nothing. No response. You can hear noises, but he's not coming. Ezekiel, it's time for dinner. It's time for dinner, bud. Let's go, paleo. Dinner. Fish. It's fish. You love fish. Nothing. I'd give it a minute or two. I'd talk to my wife or I'd get my daughter ready or something like that. But Lord help us. We just hear those the Legos, uh, oddly enough. Legos in his room, he's, he's, he's busy. And so one of, my, one of my favorite things to do is I'll just, I'll get as close to the door as I can and I'll go, Zeke! And he doesn't, he doesn't do anything, but he goes, I'm putting it up, I'm putting it up. Right? I didn't ask what. But when authority came in, he got confessional. I'm putting it away. The thing deep down inside that I knew that I should not have participated in, I'm putting it away because it is time to follow my father's authority. In fact, I, uh, I took everything we had there in Isaiah and I, I wrote this. I thought it would be funny. Um, what would it mean to me that my seven-year-old would one day hear me shout, Zeke, it's dinner time. And he would come tearing down the hall. And he would fall at my feet, much like Isaiah did in this chapter. And he would look at me and he would say, Father, behold, I am a child of unclean fingers. I dwell in the room of Pokemon cards. And when you called me, my father, I stood in consternation, constructing an idolatrous uh, idolatrous temple of Legos. And then, of course, I would press hot coal to his lips and say, you're cleansed. And, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm, not, I'm never going to do that. But, but can, can you see just that little bit of guilt and how, how that confession just comes out when authority's nearby? His confession just spills out when authority's nearby. Parents, wouldn't it be good if your kids just snapped too like that? But there are people who would call themselves Christians that fully expect the benefits of grace and they have never allowed themselves to be moved to confession. They won't confess. There is a super famous person, I'm, I'm, they're going to remain nameless for this one, that when asked if this individual had asked the Lord for forgiveness from his sins, this individual responded with, that's a tough question. 
The answer goes on. I go to church and I love God and I love my church, but I'm not sure I have. I just go on and I try to do better. Is that a confession? It's not. See, here's here's how we take a hold of this crazy thing called grace. And this one, I this one's going to be confessional on my part. See, I I as a minister and a full-time staff member here at Lakeview Wesleyan Church, I, this year, 2019, have completely thrown my whole altar game out the window. It's gone. I'm changing it up, and I'm done with the old one. See, I, over the years, I've, I've led several people to Christ, and many thus far have been engaged in incredible walks with the Lord. Excuse me. And so many others are really genuinely growing exponentially. And my ministry career has been great. But I have been an absolute amateur. An amateur. When it comes to the sinner's prayer. A real sinner's prayer. Those of you who haven't been a part of the faith for most of your life, there's this thing called the sinner's prayer. And it's super easy. You tell the crowd, as, as a minister, you tell the crowd a few things about God, and then you make sure one of the three points is emotional enough to stir the crowd a little bit. Do you follow so far? We good? Then at the end of the message, you give an invitation. But Lord, help us not an intimidating one. You wouldn't want to dare give an intimidating call Somewhere after 1999, we even decided it was way more welcoming to ask the congregation to raise their hand if they wanted Jesus in their heart. And we don't even say raise because raise sounds like a declaration now. And so we just say slip. If you would slip up your hand to receive the one and only God into your life today. And then as a minister, I would stand on stage and I would baby you. I would say, repeat after me. I'm not going to do that anymore. But then I would say, dear God, and then on my own power, on my own power, and on my own intellect, I would scan the room, and I would try to find that one person who I thought was maybe going through something emotionally, and I would try to tailor-make that prayer to something that would be broad enough to both touch them and maybe a couple others in the room, and I would, I would play chess. Repeat after me. You guys know that that's Christian folk magic, right? It's not okay. There's no magic words. You guys know what Christian folk magic is, yeah? Just making sure. It's that thing where you pop your Bible open to a random page, poke your finger down, and hope the verse is inspiring for the day. Anybody do that? Just saying stop. Because <laughs> guess what? It's the Bible. <laughs> There are a lot of gems in there, and if you're going to accidentally, you're going to accidentally find one here or there. But I would lead them to Christ. I would lead them to Christ. And I left no room for the Holy Spirit to do its work. These precious people that I would say that I would care about so deeply, I wasn't letting God work in them. I was sprinkling my own brand of pixie dust over them. And that, that is wrong. 
Ephesians 2.5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. A young man, an awesome friend of mine, years ago came to me after talking about the Bible for some time with me. And he had this big, heavy spirit about him. He had finally hit his breaking point, and the Holy Spirit was really pushing on his thoughts. And he came to me just breathing super heavy, and he looked like he was terrified and full of joy all at the exact same time. And he says, Zach, I'm ready. I don't know what to say or to do, but I know that I mess up and I know that I sin and I want to begin my life brand new and I want to follow God. What do I do? And what I should have said is, brother, you just did. I'd look him in the eye and I'd say, what else would you say to Jesus if he were here? What else would you say? Instead, I said, awesome, repeat after me. And I'm not going to do that anymore. See, there are some people in this room that are Christians by name, probably even by name alone, but have never been impacted by grace. You never made way in your heart because all you were asked to do was say magic words. So again, my altar game has changed. Repeat after me is dead. And 2019 game plan goes as follows. Tell people of God's goodness. Let them know about his grace and let God's grace be overwhelming. First Timothy chapter one, verses 12 through 15. I'm just going to read this one to you. I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed from me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, the Christ, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And so the thing I want you guys to take from grace, I'll, I'll have a little list to read off to you today. So short. But I, I, I wrote something down, honestly. This is... This is to cap off my message, but I wrote it on my grid while I was sitting there in the pew because I was reminded of this little story that we heard in our growing marriage class. And the main, the main speaker in the story says, I, I once saw a woman who had worked in a factory all her life and her hands were locked up and they, they didn't move very well. She had arthritis. She had all sorts of degenerative things going on. And she was not much to look at. She was getting quite old. She had been down a hard road in life. She had had everything taken away from her. She was trying to bounce back from a divorce that had still happened 30 years before that. She was, she was in pieces and not doing well. But one day she walked past the church that this young man was sitting in. He was sitting in a pew. 
and he was hearing the message, and the message was about grace. The message was about how God's goodness seeks you out, that, that God's care for you is sure. And the minister behind the pulpit said, God has grace for you. God has love for you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, no matter how hard life has hit you, he has rescue for you. He has rest for you. And that goodness poured over her. And she stood in the back doorway and hearing those words, with her hands all mangled and gnarled, just walked down the middle aisle. No invitation. Nothing fancy, no repeat after me. She walked down the aisle while a pastor would say, God has love for you. God has grace for you. His goodness is sure. She walked down the aisle and all she could squeeze out of her voice was this pained sound, but she just said, even me, Even me? Are you sure? Even me? He has goodness for even me? Are you? Even me? She made her way to the front. Her prayer was done. She knew grace. So I'm letting you guys know today. You don't need something big and emotional. You don't need something crazy as a story. I, I just, let's bring testimony to it. God is real and he is changing me every single day to be more like him. And I want him to do the same for you. I don't want you to have a pretend faith anymore. I don't want you to pretend about grace anymore. If you don't want it, you don't want it. And I don't see why. You're just hiding in paradise. But if, if you do, if you need to change, if you see it, if you see what we as people did to him in the garden all the way up to today, Scripture even tells us that his grace holds back our wickedness. I can't imagine how wicked this world would be without his grace. And so you don't need something special. You don't need me to invite you. You don't need to slip your hand up. You don't need to do anything but let him change you. And so there's no special formula and I'm fresh out of folk magic. (laughs) If you want to ask God into your life, I don't have anything for you to repeat. What I have 
is a message that God's grace is real. It's not only undeserved, and these are my last three spots. It's not only undeserved, it can never be earned or paid for by anything but Jesus. Not your best effort, not your best intentions, not your best hopes and dreams, not any amount of energy you put into it. You can't save yourself. So it's not only undeserved, it can never be earned or paid for by anything but Jesus. Number two, Real grace makes confession flow more naturally. Real grace. So Christian by name, if you have been walking in sin, showing up here does not give you enough folk magic to go to heaven. It doesn't. Allowing Christ to come in and do a transformative work in you and set you on course to serve every single person outside of this building, that's what's supposed to happen. And what's crazy is you can serve everybody out there you want. But without grace, it's a lot of spent energy on a very short life. The last thing about grace is this. Number three, you need it to understand the fullness of God. You need it. You could ask a billion questions about God. First thing you need to ask for is grace. So guys, I'm going to pray. The altar's been open since midnight last night. (laughs) If y'all needed to break in here and get in here and pray, there's nobody, nobody stopping you. I'm the head of security. I'd let you in. A kid. But if you have deep in your heart this, this yearning to change, to grow, to be healed, to relinquish sin, to do battle with the things that have messed you up, to break the chains that have held you back, to get rid of the deceptions, the lies that you've been told about yourself and about this world and about the church and about God, to get rid of those things. Nothing stops you. God has love for you. His goodness is is excellent. It is sufficient. It will redeem you. It will redeem you. And you can say, even me? So if you want to march down the aisle and pray, cool. Ask him into your life. I'll pray with you, but I'm not going to let you repeat me. If you want to do it there in your pew, tell us. This is a community of believers. We're here to lift you up, to pray with you, to provide for you. We care about you. If you just have more questions, write it on the back of that card that I kept bugging you about. But guys, I usually end overflow this way. Before I pray or just after, I'll say, I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. So does Jesus. Jesus loves you, and there is nothing you could do about it, even you. So let's go to the Lord for one last time in prayer, and then we'll give a benediction and head out. Father, I only stand here as a product of grace. 
I can only stand up here on this, this platform. The only authority I have is given from you. The opportunity I have to share the word today is provided by you, and so is the word. And Lord, if I said anything inappropriate, if I said anything off, would it fall on deaf ears? But Father, if, if your grace was coming out today, would it sit on somebody's heart very heavily? Would it weigh on their heart and would that conviction flow naturally and would they find themselves spilling their guts before you? Someone, of course, who's, who's messed up, we all have. But we're in need of a gracious and good God. So Lord, help us to walk from this place overwhelmed by your grace. Lord, if we've had it, if we are walking in that grace, would it spill off of us? Would it be overwhelmingly contagious, pandemic? Would it just begin to absorb our city? Would it change this city? Lord, this city is lost in addiction, and this city is lost in pain. This city is lost where its, its people do not get along. Race to race, people group to people group, philosophy to philosophy, we're missing each other. And the only thing that peels all of that garbage off and covers our shame is your grace. And so whether or not you did a work in one specific heart today, do work in our community and use us as tools for that work. We can only ask these things in your name because only you have watched this whole story unfold beginning to end. You set it into motion. You have mourned and cheered for Adam. You have mourned and cheered for us. But Lord, in Christ, we we dedicate our focus, our attention, our time back to you. And we praise you in your name. Amen. So guys, that is it for me today. I greatly, again, appreciate the opportunity to share with you. And uh, come back next week just with fire in your bones to hear Jared share the word. Um, he's going to do an excellent job, and I hope that you would be encouraging to him on that. And uh, let, me, uh, let me toss a little benedictory prayer at you um, just to uh, get, us, get us in motion. So if you guys would all stand with me, and uh, we'll make our way out. Lord, send each of my brothers and sisters out to do your good work and to fill them with joy. Wrap them in your grace. But Lord, be a provider in your name. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for being here. And that's it.